Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 58. And today we're going to be talking about surviving an abusive relationship and what does that mean for us. Just to put this out there, we just want to give a trigger warning as we are going to be talking about abusive relationships. This is a sensitive matter. And if you feel that this conversation surrounding this topic may lead to distress or anxiety or to relive trauma, we ask that you would exercise discretion and caution in regards to listening to today's episode. The voice of our guest, has also been altered to protect their identity. With that being said, let's do this. Hey everyone, thank you guys so much for joining in on this conversation today. It's John and I'm going to be flying solo. But you guys might have heard a few months ago, we aired a couple episodes on the Church 2 movement, bringing to light power, relational, and sexual abuse that has come to light recently over the last several years, mostly involving those in positions of leadership and the pastorate. An area that we didn't have a chance to explore more deeply are the stories of those who have survived abuse And what does that mean for our faith communities when that has never been brought to light? And so that kind of brings us to our special guest today, Rebecca K. Tan, who is a survivor and wrote a book entitled, But He Said He is a Christian, Journal Entries of a Young Christian Woman in an Abusive Relationship. Rebecca, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Reading this book that you had wrote, it's quite the experience. It's, it's heartbreaking, it's emotionally raw, it's shocking, it's uncomfortable, but you lead the reader through your own experiences and into a place that ends with a glimmer of hope in the healing of Jesus. So I was just wondering, could you share with our listeners briefly about the journey of writing this book and why you felt it was important to bring to light these difficult matters? Um, my desire to start writing a book actually began two years before I started to date Tony, I wanted to write a book about how difficult the Christian walk is for a young woman, but how worth it it is because Jesus is that good. Yeah, there was just the, an idea that I played with um, until I re- entered a relationship with Tony and journaling just was something that I did out of habit. So all throughout the relationship, I journaled, not thinking that that was going to be a part of what I originally wanted to write about, not thinking that anyone would ever read it. Sometimes I did get scared that maybe Tony would open the pages, but yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah. And then after leaving the relationship, I was walking through, how do I bring this to light? I felt like God was leading me in the, step, in the small steps, for example, the conviction to tell others, finally, like my friends and my family, the, the true story. Um, and then the prompting to tell his, his pastors and the leaders of what was going on. So that all had to be taken care of. And then um, once things settled down, I started to think again about how I could really share this without being malicious or revengeful. Yeah, especially because I know that other women were messaging me throughout these years saying that they've been in a relationship with him and have been hurt too. And so that was my, where my conviction started to, to put this all together. Yeah, that really does come through in your writing. and. I feel that you were 
wanting to have a specific goal in mind, like like you were saying that you did not want to be malicious, that you did not want to be coming across as just spiteful, but rather you had a specific goal in mind of kind of sharing your journey. And so, you know, kind of reflecting back on your experiences of putting together all these journal entries, I mean, they are deeply personal. You share your wounds, you're very open about them. You also offer a little bit of commentary in kind of that you know, the reflective parts of the book as you're kind of reflecting on your own journal entries, you know, as you were kind of revisiting those moments in your relationships, you know, how did you approach them in regards to the goals that you hope to achieve through your book in terms of what you hope the readers would get from it? And, you know, did that influence on what you included and what you omitted? You know, did your approach change as you continue to work through the chapters? I'm not even sure that I understood who my audience was going to be. I think when I was writing it, I, as much as I wanted other people to be helped by it, I did not know what that was going to look like. The first step, I guess, was maybe a part of my own healing process and just putting all these pieces together. Yeah, as I wrote and as I got feedback from my peers and my editor, who was so amazing, yeah, getting that outsider input <laughs> really helped me understand what other people were going to see and the commentary um, that I needed to include. I, I did want to kind of follow up with that. You know, I think a lot of people have been impacted by your book because I've seen people share the title on social media. You know, you also put little quotes in your Instagram and I've seen people share that as well. You know, for you, like, was that the kind of response you were expecting? And how did you feel when people are starting to kind of resonate with the book in such a personal way? That was definitely not what I expected. After thinking that I was going to write it for myself and then maybe for my friends and family, just wanting them to understand really what it looked like because I still have people who are really close and I love them dearly, but they, they still struggle to understand, well, he hurt you. Why did you stay? It, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense for them. And, and I, I completely understand that because before this experience, my mentality was the same. I didn't understand why a woman would stay in an abusive relationship when they're clearly being hurt. And there's so much that goes into it. And I think going back to my journal entries and reflecting on my own thoughts, I realized that, yeah, there is there's so much manipulation, the gaslighting and all these things that the fear that that keeps one in an abusive relationship. I didn't think that I would share it too much to the public, but it was my friends who really encouraged me after they read it, encouraging me and telling me that there are so many people that need to hear this. Yeah, and opening the Instagram account was not intended to be what it is now. I didn't know where I was going with that one. Um, but to have survivors message me on a regular basis, um, again, it breaks my heart every time I, I know of it. But to be honest, I can't be so surprised that it's just happening to so many people. Um, definitely in the beginning, I, I, I can say I underestimated the amount, the number of women who have experienced similar. But but now, I don't know. It's It's it, I just get a, I get a lot of messages and as much as I feel like I'm not alone, yeah, it, it just, it sucks. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think anyone reading your book can, can share and understand why you would feel that way. Now, I do have to ask, you know, the title of your book is called, But He Said He is a Christian. And I think that is something that really grabs a reader's attention. And it could be applied to so many different areas of our lives. And in today's culture, that descriptor can mean so many different things. 
I mean, calling oneself a Christian could mean as little as regular attendance to church or to holding a specific set of beliefs, to being baptized as a baby, to being a good person. And in your case, there was something that was much harder to uncover. Because in your book, you talked about the person that you were in a relationship with had deep theological reflection. They were participating in fellowships and leadership. They were mentoring younger Christians, and they were very connected to the faith community. But in regards to transformation or maturity in, in the area of developing you know, significant and romantic relationships, and when you recount these instances of verbal and emotional and physical abuse, what you said earlier about gaslighting, playing mind games, using his interpretation of scripture to shame and manipulate you, lies and deceits, there did seem to be this disconnect. Why did you choose to name your book, but he said he is a Christian? Specifically, you know, in, in sharing your journey and sharing your story, like why did you want to have that as the title for your book? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that title was something that I told myself as an excuse every single time. I tried to before justify it as, you know, like he said, he's a Christian. He said he's a Christian. So it's okay. What he's doing to me is okay. And I remember having these conversations with my friends before. I would tell them, yeah, he hit me, but it wasn't like that hard. Or yeah, he was yelling at me, but it wasn't for that long. And also like, it's okay because he actually is a Christian. Um, The way that I justified that or the way that I was able to say that he is a Christian is not only by him saying that, but there's this huge thing on repentance and how he, he kind of taught me that word and what that looked like. And he, yeah, he basically said that if you, if you repent, then it's okay. And it's true, like true repentance, but I didn't, I wasn't able to dis- discern what true repentance and fake repentance was, which is what he was doing. just always apologizing, but never having any actions to follow through. And I, I guess like not really being sincere in, in that. Yeah, I think that really lines up with what the calling for repentance is not just asking for forgiveness, but there is actually this turning away from sin. There's actually this change and transformational of, of heart. And, you know, part of forgiveness and repentance is maturity. It is about growing as a person to be confronted and realizing your sin not only in how we've hurt God and hurt other people, but how much we have left to grow and how much we have left to be formed in that way. And so I think, you know, what you said was very insightful there. Yeah, and I, I think that's a part of what kept me into, in the relationship for so long too, because I understand it's a turning away, but I also understand that it's a process and we can't just 180, just stop our sin a lot of times. Like sometimes I mean, the sanctification process, right, where it, it, does, it does take time. So I thought that, Oh, maybe, maybe I just have to wait longer. Maybe I'm being too impatient and maybe he is rep- repenting. I just, yeah, I just need to wait longer. But yeah, the in between, there has to be steps. There has to be some, something. You know, as we're kind of having this conversation, you know, when you mentioned there has to be that something, I think we all intrinsically know that and we all recognize that if, you know, if we have kind of that experience in, being a follower of Christ, and yet it is so difficult to experience that or to grow in that way. And I think if it was easy, you know, all of us would be fully mature Christians. But on the other hand, it's not that easy. And maybe it is 
some aspect of how, you know, how Christ is putting to death sin in our life and our need to allow him to do that and our need to be accountable to both God and to Christian community as well. And so I think, you know, a lot of what you said is is so is so real. I think in what you're sharing about too, it's something that we all have to hold on to because we we can't just kind of assume that, oh yeah, we ask for forgiveness and then that's that's it. But don't realize that, oh, maybe like, you know, this is part of how God is convicting and continuing to, you know, reveal the brokenness in our lives. And so I think it just goes beyond just being like, oh, he's a Christian and we can talk about forgiveness, but to actually experience it is a whole different matter. Kind of moving along, you know, in the context of relationships and especially with those who we date and who we hope to marry one day, you know, the wounds that are inflicted in those relationships can cut extremely deep. And I think this shouldn't surprise us because God is one who is relational and loving in in all of his being, and he created us in his image. And when abuse happens, it's a betrayal of those deepest levels of trust and commitment. And it goes against what he desires and what he made us for in, in the context of bearing his image and being in relationships. And so a breakdown in those closest relationships can be so extremely painful. But I think this is what makes the gospel message so good because there is that hope of restoration and deliverance and resurrection and that the chains can be broken and that healing can happen. And even though for you in your book, when you're talking about it, you talked about how difficult it was to decide to end the relationship despite the abuse. I want to ask a little bit more about what was that process of healing for you? Leaving the relationship was something that was truly supernatural. I didn't plan to that day leave the relationship. I was actually in at my parents' place in in bed while he was was Tony was calling and texting constantly, sending me a lot of threats because he wanted me to come to him and I had had enough that time and it was but it was it wasn't that, like I thought like I was going to see him that was going to be the last time that I was going to see him because there was many moments where yeah I thought like I wanted to but I really couldn't see how I would be able to leave him yeah so I was as I was in bed I honestly grew tired and uh, again caved and told him that I would meet him even though I yeah I didn't want to but I told him yes I would hung up the phone began to cry and I was ready to leave to meet him, but my body like physically couldn't leave the bed. And I think that was when I, f- I felt like I was saying that that was enough. And I just, I just couldn't leave. And then a whole, the whole thing happened. I, I mentioned it in the book. I think eventually it was, it was the police being involved that really put that barrier between us where he didn't want to mess with that. After ending the relationship, I still had doubts about if this was, I still was questioning if this was the right decision to make because I was so brainwashed or so immersed in thinking that he was the only one who was right who, and that he was the only one who loved me. Um, I really feared to, that I was making the wrong decision, but I decided to just listen to my counselor at the time. I decided that even though my heart was telling me one thing, I just had to listen to her, even if I didn't agree with her, which a lot of times I didn't. 
So sticking through, sticking to that really helped me not return back to him. Yeah, it has been a few years since we last talked and the healing process has been just a, a, a miracle and how I really feel blessed to have been able to go through this, not wishing it to happen again or to anyone, but knowing of how much closer I am to God now, uh, knowing that he truly is a faithful God. I mentioned in the book that, yeah, the healing was up and down. The first year was definitely the hardest, where there's times where I thought that he still knew where I was, I still knew what I was doing, and I just feared him showing up to my house or to my workplace. I felt like he was in my head a lot for a few months, but it was six months after where I woke up and the word freedom was just all over my mind, where I, I truly felt like I was finally free from, from this and no longer thought about him every moment of the day, which was good. And yeah, it's, it's been good since. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You know, I think that you sharing your journey and your story is so important because it also shows how someone has survived and how someone has been able to move from, you know, a, a very destructive situation in, into a place of freedom into a place of healing. And these are the stories that need to be told because this is also how God works in the lives of people in our communities. And so thank you so much for having written this book. It already has had such an impact on those who have survived relationships like this, similar to the one you experienced. And also at the same time, it's giving hope for those who perhaps are in those type of relationships right now. And I did want to ask you something. You know, this kind of came up as I was kind of preparing today, but specifically from a point of a survivor of an abusive relationship, you know, what do you think of when you hear Jesus's words to love your enemies and to do good to those who hate you, to pray for those who abuse you and bless those who curse you? Like, that's so hard to, for me to even imagine what, what that must be like. So what do you think of when, when you hear a verse like that? I think no one in my life has hurt me more than, than Tony has. So before meeting him, I didn't feel like I had really enemies to love, um, enemies that I truly hated. And yeah, there was a time where I truly hated Tony and I wanted the worst for him. But seeing how broken we all are and how God's grace extends to us all, um, how he has forgiven me, who's also has many sins. I think reading reading these verses now it makes sense to me, but I don't really I don't know how to explain how this makes sense. I just know that I am able to uh, experience joy and peace in Christ when I follow His word. Yeah, in the beginning it doesn't make sense, and I I think that it's very unfair. But especially the part of, of forgiving him and loving him as a person, I think there's there's been so much power in that. And yeah, God's word is so true. Like love always wins and, and love is the most powerful thing. Hate and all these other evil thoughts or evil motives won't get me anywhere. Um, no, I think that's a really great answer because you know, you're also 
differentiating between, you know, the way you are perceiving this person that was in your life before and what does it mean to have a way of relating to them. And you're also differentiating between like, okay, I can be able to forgive and pray for this person or, or in a way, you know, hope that they experience God's forgiveness in their life and not to be using that as a, a kind of a, as a crutch to be like, you know what, I should just stay in this relationship because we're called to love our enemies or pray for those who abuse you. And then just be like, oh, I should just stay in this relationship. But like that you're kind of unpacking that a bit just to be like, you know, it's not about using it as an excuse <laughs> to, to stay in, a, in a, this type of relationship, which like so much pain is coming out of. But I did want to ask a little bit about, you know, for you, you, you come from an Asian background and you've, you know, had experiences within, you know, Asian communities and such. It's one of the main focuses of our podcast is to engage in the conversation specifically related to this context. And so how did you feel that the Asian identity and culture has impacted your story? Has it been easier or harder to talk about relationship abuse? Has it been easier or harder to confront issues like this? And I, I, like the reason I'm asking is because, you know, I know for older generations, even if it was happening, it was never brought up. And like shame culture runs so very deep. So did you ever experience any of that for yourself coming from an Asian background as well? I think coming from an Asian background was one of the reasons why I felt like I didn't see abuse as, as early in the relationship. Because the abuse that happens in the beginning, it, it's more, I see it as, I, I thought it was more tolerable. Like he, he was raising his voice a little bit, or he would swear sometimes, or he would put his hands on me, but that wasn't too bad, right? I think my, my understanding of abuse would be a black eye, whatever I see in the movies. But whatever he was doing to me was what I saw in my Asian culture. <laughs> as much as I love my Asian culture, it's... Right, yeah. yeah it's it's I guess it's been normalized. Like accepted. It's, it's part of the culture. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's why I didn't really see what Tony did to me as, as so wrong. Yeah, definitely after seeing this and, know, and knowing it, accepting it, you know, even sharing it with the Asian community, I definitely see the younger generation just getting it. I think we're really tired of feeling abuse is part of the victim's fault or that we shouldn't be talking about it, um, that we should just, yeah, be silent. Well, the old generation, I, I see that 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 is, that is what they've experienced. A lot of the old generation are wanting people to be quiet about these situations as well. And that's been a bit difficult, but I think there there is hope in and in how I think they they are seeing that sharing this and talking about it is good. I mean, I think I do see it, but not for everyone. <laughs> no, I think that's honest. I, I think with younger generations, especially too, perhaps we, in some ways, in the way that we are living in our culture, have been more accustomed to or attuned to naming certain things. I think, especially in in this day and age, you know. We are living in a society that will call out things a lot more readily than I think they were called out before in the past. And perhaps in some way that can be helpful for us to actually be able to name certain things that are happening and say, wait, wait, that's not actually healthy. That's not actually 
life-giving or right, and those things shouldn't be excused. You know, I think what the Me Too movement or the Church Too movement has actually opened those doors to be able to say, hey, one, this stuff is happening. We have to call it out. Two, we're not alone. In fact, this is happening to so many people, and we need to talk about it in a more honest and normalized way. Otherwise, we, we start falling back into that fear and into the shame culture, because then it feels so off-putting to even mention it. How can healing happen if we don't diagnose a problem? You know, if we don't have a way to figure out, you know, what is causing things and what is happening in addressing those causes and those symptoms. So, yeah, I think it's it's so important for for us in our society today to even just be like, this is happening. And, you know, from an Asian background, we can even be like, this is makes it even harder for us to talk about because it's so difficult. It's like we see the example of our older generations and they don't talk about it. And we might have seen it in our own family's lives or, or, or other people's lives. And we're like, wait, why was that never talked about? Maybe we shouldn't talk about it. But then society, you know, and one of the things that, you know, I think does come out of society is like, no, we should be talking about this kind of stuff. And we shouldn't be okay with this kind of stuff. And maybe this is where kind of that collision of, of East meets West or kind of younger versus older generations, which I think, you know, your book in particularly is so timely because it really does speak into a conversation that does not happen regularly, you know, even in the church. And I want to ask you about the church. You know, we don't talk about relational abuse, but it does happen and it is happening. And I want to, you know, just ask you, you know, just from your experiences in relation to churches, did you ever find that churches were safe spaces for others to journey with you? Did you ever have like, what were your experiences with church and with church leadership? I think churches who are readily equipped to talk about this do exist in Toronto, and I praise God for that. But unfortunately, there are also many churches who, who aren't and who do still carry a lot of their culture and a lot of misconceptions in their leadership, which in turn really hurts their, their members. Yeah, I think that there are churches that exist that who are ready and yeah i'm really thankful that i'm now in a in one that if this happened more recently and if, if ever i need help or even if i need help and guidance right now i know that they are more than ready and willing to to talk me through it and um to be there for me and we praise god for that for sure for sure and knowing that a lot of the people who listen to our podcast our ministry leaders, you know, what are helpful tools or resources you would suggest for pastors or lay people that are walking with survivors? You know, how might a church be better equipped to have these conversations and walk alongside survivors of abuse? Aside from just reading your book, obviously. <laughs> I think that's a question that I want to start asking everyone here who's, who's, who is interested and who wants to learn more. Um, that's a question that I, I want to know the answer to also. I think it starts with, with listening, you know, being ready to hear survivors' stories, being aware that this is happening in the church. Um, you have a congregation of 100 to 500. It's definitely happening in your church. And yeah, we just need to be more aware of it and um, be slow to speak, I think, when, when listening to survivors. 
I just want to follow up on that. You know, how can you encourage a church leader or or even an, in a Christian community in terms of listening? Because I think that might be something that, unfortunately, can be foreign to some people, and maybe they just don't know how to listen because it's it feels awkward or it's really difficult to listen to. Or on the other hand, maybe they can grow defensive or they can be projecting upon their own experiences. So how might you encourage or suggest someone to listen well? Um, from my experience of yeah, just desiring that the person just listens instead of giving all these, this advice uh, at first is, is um, to ask questions, show that you're listening and that you're wanting to know more. It, it helps to get the, the bigger and fuller picture. I think a lot of us carry these misconceptions again and these ideologies from the media of what abuse could be. And so it's so easy to, to hear that someone was abused and think, oh yeah, this is what their experience was. But everyone's story is so different and everyone's trauma looks different. I think asking questions is a good place to start. That is a good word for sure. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing your journey through your book and for coming on this podcast. One of the things that we do usually with our podcast is do a takeaway box. And if our listeners have been through a similar experience as you have, or perhaps are currently in those type of relationships, or know someone who has, you know, what encouragement or counsel might you give them that might help them take the next step toward healing and toward recovery? John, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, it means a lot that you have been so willing and eager to to listen, um, to hear, and to ask these questions. I think the last thing that I want to say is for anyone who is in an abusive relationship or who doesn't even know it or who's been through an abusive relationship, I, I just want to encourage you that there there is hope. There is, there is healing in Christ. Um, our God is a good father and he loves his children. That's the gospel message right there. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us today on our podcast. And thank you to you guys for listening to our conversation today. We're going to leave a link to Rebecca's book in our show notes. So please make sure you check that out. And it's been a very serious conversation and perhaps a hard conversation to listen to. So let's continue to dialogue this. We would appreciate to hear your thoughts and how this might play into your lives or what it even means to be able to have a conversation and dialogue about this matter in an Asian context, in a church context. We definitely want to continue to grow together in this. So please reach out to us via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. And as always, if you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our episode. That helps continue to get that out there. And please share it with others who you think might find this helpful. Once again, you have been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.